I'm Evan Knappen, and welcome to Gun Lawyer. Hey, today I want to tell you about a really interesting case I had, and it's it's something that folks all around the United States should really be aware of, even though this happened in New Jersey. Yep, the Democratic People's Republic of New Jersey. It is unbelievable how bad the gun laws are there, and you've heard me talk about it because that's where you know, I fought many a battle. It was really front lines on gun control. And New Jersey stands for what you never want to have happen in your state ever. Because New Jersey turns law-abiding citizens into criminals. And they do it with glee and vigor. And uh, we see it all the time. And I want to tell you about a case that'll shock you to hear about. And uh, it involves a fellow. His name was... Uh, Mr. Van Gilder. Now, Mr. Van Gilder, at the time, he was in his 70s, and he was a retired uh, teacher. And Mr. Gilder had a love for, for history, and he loved uh, 18th century objects of history, and he studied them, and he had a collection of various, you know, papers and documents and things of that period, and really, really enjoyed that in his retirement. And it, it so happened that one of the things that he had in his house was an old flintlock pistol, an original flintlock from that period of time, okay? The last time that flintlock had been fired, George Washington was alive, okay? That's how old this was. It was a Queen Anne flintlock single-shot pistol from, you know, the mid 1700s basically or maybe even a little earlier and so the queen anne is a kind of a neat flintlock it it it, it has a single barrel and normally the barrel will turn out the barrel looks like a miniature cannon of a queen anne style cannon that would be on the uh, great sailing ships but it was a, a pistol barrel single shot and they were popular for uh individuals of the day to have it as a as a carry gun against ruffians and what have you and highwaymen and such and so this was you know really an interesting artifact and it was a bona fide original flintlock and unfortunately an individual who had been residing with him in his house kind of helping take care of things in the house pawned his flintlock pistol without his knowledge or permission. And when a client learned about it, he took the other fellow with him and they went back to the pawn shop and he retrieved his property that should not have been uh, pawned, but he got it back and he wrapped it in a, in a cloth and put it in his glove box and just was driving back home with his original flintlock pistol and he got stopped for a uh, minor traffic matter and the officer asked him if there's anything dangerous in the car and he said well just a flintlock pistol you know flintlock 1700s and he also let me see and when the officer looked at it he then arrested mr van gilder for possession of a handgun under New Jersey law. Now, this is a unloaded 
no ammunition, no black powder, no nothing. Bonafide antique, approximately roughly, you know, 250 to 300 years old. That is simply going from this pawn shop where it shouldn't have went in the first place, and he's bringing it back home. And he's arrested and charged with possession of this. And let me tell you, it is serious. Because in New Jersey, New Jersey makes no distinction, none whatsoever, between a flintlock pistol 300 years old and, you know, a modern, you know, 44 Magnum loaded in your shoe. Okay, they don't care. Same thing, same thing. Okay, no difference. And if you're charged with this offense, you're facing up to 10 years in state's prison with a minimum mandatory three and a half years, no chance of parole. So that if Mr. Van Gilder got convicted and a judge had to sentence him, that judge has no discretion at all over the minimum mandatory sentence. The best sentence he could get, this 72 or 3-year-old man, retired professor, for possessing a flintlock, the best sentence would include three and a half years of parole and eligibility, no matter what his sentence was, so that he would have to do every day of three and a half years before he could even be released from state prison for this heinous offense. That is insanity. And New Jersey still hasn't changed the law at all. It's still this same deal that black powder firearm, antique firearm, no matter how old, no matter what the mechanism, it's still a firearm, and if it is one made to be fired with one hand, it is still a handgun, and there's no distinction whatsoever in the law between that gun and a modern firearm. It is really absurd. And you don't ever want this to happen in your jurisdiction because you can just see how bad it is, and it, and it truly is. So when I got this case, I was absolutely disgusted that Mr. Van Gilder has to go through this nonsense over this. And I contacted the prosecutor and made my position uh, pretty forcefully known about it. And it was kind of interesting because prior to representing Mr. Van Gilder, I had represented the Shanine Allen in the famous Shanine Allen case. And we had relatively recently fought that case. And, 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 and there, Ms. Allen, as many of you listeners know, is a single black mom who came from Philly into Jersey. She had a licensed legal carry uh, for her handgun. She, single mom, taking care of two young boys. She'd been robbed twice. So she was legally in possession, had it. But when she crossed into Jersey, you see, Jersey recognizes no other state's license or permit. And so she was now, you know, facing this same draconian, ridiculous penalty for a licensed handgun. And we had fought all that so hard. And so many folks from around the country were expressing their disgust with what was happening to Shanine Allen, that there were, there were billboards that sprung up all around the county to free her and to stop this and all that. 
So when I talked to the prosecutors in another county, by the way, on this Van Gilder case, her comment to me was, look, I'm going to dismiss it. We don't need any billboards. And I said, good, good. At least they know where this is going to end up. I was glad to hear that. So, you know, having a good reputation and fighting for law-abiding citizens makes a big difference for my clients. And a matter of fact, in the Shanine Allen case, one of the comments, this judge who was hearing her case, he, he sentenced another person who had circumstances that were even more egregious than Shanine Allen's circumstances because she made an honest mistake and brought the gun accidentally into New Jersey and, you know, this was just a horrible situation and a, just an honest mistake. But but even more extreme was this other fellow that this judge was sentencing, and I was not representing him. And his facts were even crazier. He was kidnapped and brought to New Jersey out of Pennsylvania. His buddies decided they were going to have a, you know, a bachelor party for him before he got married. They kidnapped this guy. He didn't know where he was going. They grabbed him, throw him in the car, you know, the whole bit, not allowed that, you know, blindfold, the whole bit, you know, guys messing with him. And they take him into Atlantic City, right? And and the problem was when they kidnapped him, he had his gun on him from Pennsylvania that it was legal to have. And when he got to New Jersey, they discovered the gun in the car because he wouldn't carry it. He didn't know it. He left it, locked it up there, but still that ended up coming to the light, and he ended up charged with the same thing. Looking at three and a half years, minimum mandatory. I never forget, the judge who was sentencing him was Shanine Allen's judge, and he said this was in the paper in the Atlantic City Press because, you see, there was tremendous pressure on Shanine to plead guilty. And I was getting calls from other counties. Oh, you got to plead guilty. you got to plead around. I go, I don't have to do anything. I'm going to fight this. Well, that's not how we do things down here. I'm like, do you think I give a flying you-know-what how you do things down here? This is ridiculous. So even the judge, when he sends in this other guy, says, well, we've reviewed this and all, and you're, you're pleading guilty, and the because you're pleading guilty, the prosecutor is doing a graves waiver where the prosecutor has the discretion to waive the minimum mandatory. The judge can't do it, but if you do a plea, the prosecutor can and here, with all the attention being paid on Shanine Allen, they're going to show how how amazingly great this this county is. How, this is how how benevolent and merciful they are. They, they, by only becoming a convicted felon and losing your gun rights and becoming a second class citizen, this guy did not get jail time and mandatory prison. Isn't that wonderful, folks? Don't you just does that make your heart sing that Atlantic County did that for this wonderful guy, right? And not only that, the judge says in the newspaper, unlike some people, and the reporter wrote referring to Knappen, meaning me, that have to make their clients a cause. That's right. That have to make their clients a cause. And let me tell you something. You're damn right every one of my clients is a cause. It's a cause for justice. It's a cause for for freedom, and by making her, quote, a cause, we changed the system in Jersey. 
We made it so that individuals like her could get PTI, where they couldn't get it before, a diversion, where they don't become a convicted felon and don't do jail. And the Attorney General, when that law changed, said it saved 100 pending cases. And I'm sure that that guy who they, the judge sentenced and made a felon probably looked back and said, wow, if he had stood the fight, he could have got diverted and not become a felon and not done jail. Maybe he should have been a cause too, huh? But you see, that's what we're up against. And, and by making a fight and really going out and fighting, it had ripple effects of helping so many others, and it even helped Mr. Van Gilder with his insane arrest for a flintlock pistol that, you know, hadn't been fired since George Washington was alive. Hey, when we get back, I got some interesting things to tell you about. See you in a bit. For over 30 years, attorney Evan Knappen has seen what rotten laws do to good people. That's why he's dedicated his life to fighting for the rights of America's gun owners. A fearsome courtroom litigator fighting for rights, justice, and freedom. An unrelenting gun rights spokesman tearing away at anti-gun propaganda to expose the truth. Author of six best-selling books on gun rights, including Knappen on Gun Law. A bright orange gun law Bible that sits atop the desk of virtually every lawyer, police chief, firearms dealer, and savvy gun owner. That's what made Evan Knappen America's gun lawyer. Gun laws are designed to make you a criminal. Don't become the innocent victim of a vicious anti-gun legal system. This is the guy you want on your side. Keep his name and number in your wallet and hope you never have to use it. But if you live, work, or travel with a firearm, the deck is already stacked against you. You can find him on the web at evannappen.com or follow the link on the Gun Lawyer resource page. Evan Knappen, America's Gun Lawyer. You're listening to Gun Lawyer with attorney Evan Knappen. Available wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I am a lawyer. I am a lawyer. Hey, welcome back. And, you know, I want to tell you folks, we got to stick together here and we have to keep our communication lines open. You want to keep a fellow gun owner from becoming a law-abiding criminal. So in order to do that, um, tell your friends to listen to Gun Lawyer Radio. Visit our website. It's at gun.lawyer. Instead of a .com, I'm actually at a .lawyer, and I'm gun.lawyer. What I would really love is for you to take a look, by the way, at our inner circle. It's on our website at gun.lawyer. Sign up for the Inner Circle, and you're going to get the inside from me, Evan Knappen. I'll be giving you tricks, tips, insights, and we'll be having some fun while we do it. Sign up. It's free. Then go to gun.lawyer, join our Inner Circle. Remember, this helps me communicate with you to touch base, let you know what's going on, because big tech doesn't care about our gun rights. They, they actually they hate us. You know, they, they don't want us to speak about this and we're going to be in some big fights, and they try to shut us down. I want to make sure I have ability to still talk to you 
so you know what to do to protect yourself and your gun rights. And the inner circle is a way we can stay in contact despite their efforts. We're going to have big issues coming up. You know, Biden's already talking about these executive orders, all kinds of nasty things. You're going to need to know how to protect yourself and what the loopholes are. And I'm going to fill you in. I love loopholes. I'm going to fill you in and all that. You're going to want to know. So please subscribe to the podcast. Tell your friends so we can grow and keep uh, keep the voice getting bigger and the, and the communication out there. Join my inner circle and help me get the word out. I'm depending on you. I'll tell you what, uh, this has been an interesting week. And uh, one of the things I, I did this week, which I like doing, is I testified regarding a proposed uh, gun bill, this one in, in New Hampshire. And this bill is SB 141. And I want to tell you folks about it because it has, again, impact outside of New Hampshire. It raises issues that we need to learn from and be aware about. And so don't think when I tell these stories about localities, if you don't live there, it doesn't affect you because it sure does. This knowledge can help you wherever you are jurisdictioned. And so in New Hampshire, we're dealing with a situation regarding the Nick's background check. And you see, the Nick's background check uh, came about with the uh, Brady Bill, okay? And the Brady Bill, as you may recall, the Brady Bill set out to uh, create a system in which there would be background checks done on every sale of a firearm by a dealer in the United States. Now, there's efforts right now to have the so-called universal background check, and that is code for universal gun registration. Because what they, the antis, the anti Second Amendment folks want to do is make it so that no one can ever transfer a firearm unless there's a background check done first. And that means it has to go through a dealer. You're not individually going to be able to just run a background check. I mean, why, why they should really make that available, right? But no, that's not how it works, you see. The, the dealers are the only ones that can do it. And in order for them to do it, you first have to fill out your 4473. That's your form to transfer, the federal transfer form. Now, you need to know right off the bat that the federal transfer form is a trap. It's absolutely a trap. And you say, why is it a trap? Because if we have an instant background check that checks, why do you have to fill out any form? How come I just can't give my, my driver's license and say, hey, run me. Am I good to buy a gun? And the dealer runs you and says, yeah, you're good to buy a gun. No, 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 no. Instead, you got to fill out this form that asks you all these questions. And some of the questions on it are just plain outrageous. I want to have to admit or deny my Hispanic heritage. I mean, what is that all about? It's crazy. Identify race. What race? Why? A photo ID is required. Why are we going down anything with race at all? But even putting aside the offensive and, 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 and intrusive questions, they ask all these different questions, and you fill that out. And if you inadvertently give a wrong answer, because then on the background check, it comes up, oh, no, 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 this, this, this uh, old thing from 30 years ago you forgot about. Oh, well, then you can be prosecuted for falsifying the form and all this. So this is why it really lays a trap. So you want to be very careful when you fill out this 4473 that you know the answers and you always tell the truth 
uh, and, and don't make any mistakes because then it can come back on you. But putting that aside, once you fill out the form, then this background check takes place. That started with the Brady Bill. And you see, the Brady Bill originally had a five-day waiting period for handguns. Yes, a waiting period. It was federal law back then. Federal law, five-day waiting period. And then, within five years, the government would set up the national instant check system, and then all guns would be instant checked, and the background waiting period, the waiting period would go away. It would be sunshine and gone. So once we get instant check, that wiped out the waiting period. Now, you know, the antis today want to push waiting periods again. But it's no longer, they no longer have the guise of saying, well, we need to check backgrounds. No, now it's just a waiting period to F with our rights. Okay, that's what it's about. To screw with us. And so we can wait. Hey, a right delayed is a right denied. So let's delay it and force another waiting period, even though we have instant background check. But nonetheless, back in in 90s, when the Brady Bill passed, there was this five-day waiting period. And the way around the waiting period, if any state wanted to get around that, if the state had its own instant background check for handguns, then the waiting period did not apply federally to that state. So New Hampshire, being a pro-gun state, passed a law establishing in the state of New Hampshire what is called the, the gun line. It's kind of a, not the official term, but it's what it's called. The gun line to do handgun checks so that individuals would not be stuck with a five-day waiting period as mandated by Brady. And then the idea was when the five years came about and we went to a national instant check that the state would no longer be doing background checks at all and the waiting period was gone by federal law, and the feds would just run their instant background check system. And that was the plan. However, that's not what happened, you see. Because what happened is typical in bureaucracies. What happened was this one bureaucracy in New Hampshire that did these gun line checks, well, that was controlled by this agency that had as part of it very political folks, you see. And when it came time for the, for the national instant check came about, they didn't want to give up the state gun line. They wanted to keep it. All right? I mean, that's the law of bureaucracy, right? You don't want to get rid of bureaucracy. You want to ever expand it. And so what the feds had created was a situation where they said, look, if you're a state that already had a background check, like Pennsylvania had it before Brady even passed, they had... Uh, background, they called it PICS, Pennsylvania Instant Check, right? If you had that, you could maintain that and you didn't have to have the Fed do the check. And any state that wanted to do the, the background check after the, the five-year period there with Brady where we had the national, you could work with the Feds and you became what was known as a POC, a point of contact. So some of you may live in states that are POCs, that are point of contacts for Brady, for doing the NICS check. And at POC states, POCs, they run the background check for the enforcement of the federal 
gun law under the Brady Bill. And many of these states that are POCs have their own state laws that had these already in place. And Pennsylvania is a great example. Pennsylvania had PICS, which is Pennsylvania Instant Check. And so what you had was PICS becoming a POC for Knicks, pickpock Knicks. And that's what exists there now, even to this day. Uh, putting aside the alphabet soup, New Hampshire didn't have such a law. They only had that handgun law just to get rid of the waiting period federally. And now it came time to drop it. And the big political battle takes place. And guess what? They end up bifurcating it. They end up in New Hampshire where only handguns are checked by the state, but the feds do the long arms. And this creates this weird situation because basically there are 36 states in the United States that are not POCs. 36 states say, hey, federal government, you want to enforce a federal law, you pay for it, you do it, and that's how it works. But these other states that are POCs, New Hampshire is one of the remainders that are POCs, but they're a half POC, you see. And that makes it uh, even stranger. And what has occurred is that the gun line in New Hampshire has been doing a terrible job of things. They've been having days upon days of delays and waiting period. And they've gotten so bad and they're so poor at their job that with all these days of delay, they've basically now no longer fulfilling even the original reason that they even came into effect, which was to avoid a waiting period. They now have a waiting period where the feds, and I'm amazed to say it, where the feds do a great job. I know, shocking. But the feds on instant check, 93% of the time, they can say right over the phone whether the person's approved or denied. But not the state gun line. And so this has been a nightmare, especially with the giant increase in volume. We're talking record gun sales, record gun sales. I mean, just the last month alone, over 4 million NICS checks in the United States, over 4 million in one month, folks, one month, 4 million gun purchases at least, because sometimes you buy more than one gun. Think about that. And the antis want to somehow ban guns in America and just in one month, the quantity is of four million of new gun owners or new purchases. I mean, come on. That's the insanity of what they're even trying to do. But fact is, the state gun line couldn't handle it and aren't handling it. And they're just not producing. And then you get this question. Why would New Hampshire, the live free or die state, want to pay taxpayer, state taxpayer money to enforce a federal gun law. It's not a state law. It's a federal law. Why is the state paying its tax dollars to enforce a federal law that the feds will do for free for you and do better? Do it better. It's insane. How do they get to this situation? And, you know, it's just, bad politics. And so this bill is pending to abolish the state gun line. And and really, it, it flies in the face of the case law on it. Uh, you look at the Sheriff Prince and Mack cases, where Prince and Mack sued the government because under the Brady Bill, it required 
the sheriffs to do background checks. And the sheriff said, under the 10th Amendment, states' rights. The feds can't make us do background checks. You can't make us do that. You can't make us pay for that manpower and time and all that. This is your law, not a state law. You want it, you do it. You can't make us do it. And they won. They won at the Supreme Court of the United States and established a tremendous precedent on 10th Amendment states' rights. It's the landmark cases on that. Establishing that distinction under the 10th so they cannot force states to do the federal bidding economically. So here you have a great win on Brady Bill itself that establishes a landmark decision about states' rights and not being able to force a state to pay to, to enforce a federal gun law, yet New Hampshire just says, oh, don't worry about it, we'll pay for it anyway. What the hell is that? I mean, come on. That's not what New Hampshire is about. We're, you know, live free or die, and they don't want to be spending state money when they don't have to. It's one of the lowest tax states in the country. Why would we want to spend tax dollars on things we don't have to? We want to maintain that New Hampshire advantage. You know, New Hampshire, there's no sales tax at all. You buy a gun in New Hampshire, no sales tax. You buy a car, there's no sales tax. There's no income tax in the state either. Do you know that? Yeah, no income tax there, right? I mean, live free or die state, right? No, no helmet law. No safety belt requirement. The only state in America that doesn't require you to wear a safety belt. Now, if you're smart, you'll wear a safety belt. But you know what's really funny in New Hampshire? You're like, you, you, they think you're like a big boy and a big girl, and you can make your own decision. Isn't that cute? It's so quaint, isn't it, that they let us make our own choice that way. And, of course, the real thing behind safety belts, I know, saves lives, all this stuff, and even that may be debatable. But, look, I wear one, and I think you should too. But even if you don't want to, that's all right, because you know what safety belt laws become? An excuse to pull you over and send engage and then lead to searches and privacy invasion. That's what a lot of these laws do. They open the door for that. So we want to be careful about these do-gooder laws, things that are just common sense, and then you try to make it law to enforce it. But anyway, we're fighting the fight in New Hampshire to get rid of the bifurcation and the state gun lines so that we just have the feds handling it. And yes, they actually do it well. And uh, there's no advantage whatsoever for the state to be doing this. In fact, it's a disadvantage done poorly and an economic and an economic burden that New Hampshire taxpayers don't need. So I was happy to testify in the committee about that. So folks, let me just say this is Evan Knappen reminding you that gun laws don't protect honest citizens from criminals. They protect criminals from honest citizens. Gun Lawyer is a Counterthink Media production. The music used in this broadcast was managed by Cosmo Music, New York, New York. Reach us by emailing evan at gun.lawyer. The information and opinions in this broadcast do not constitute legal advice. Consult a licensed attorney in your state.